Hello, everyone. Welcome back to We Can Do Pod Things. I'm Annalise. I'm Emily. And today we are so excited to bring you our first full length episode of season two. And we, it's a doozy. Mm-hmm. It's quite a doozy. In the past, um, we've done a quote of the week. And we, which was generally just something that one of us had come across in the prior week that we found interesting or inspiring or made us stop and think, maybe sometimes even a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And this week, our quote of the week is going to be a little different. So the episode that we are covering today is... From Anderson Cooper's 2022 podcast called All There Is, and this episode title is called Grateful for Grief, and it features Stephen Colbert. And this came about because um, in tw- I think it was in 2019, Anderson lost his mother, um, and Anderson had a- has experienced a lot of loss throughout his life and generational trauma and we'll get mm-hmm. all into it. <clears throat> also, excuse me for sounding extra broken up on this <laughs> episode about grief. It might be emotion or maybe it's allergies. <laughs> Who knows? Um, two things can be true. Both. Yes. Two things can be true. Uh, and Stephen Colbert similarly had experienced a very traumatic loss at a young age as well. And had, done an interview, had written a letter to Anderson, and then Cooper Anderson Cooper later on did an interview with Stephen Colbert on air and said, <clears throat> you told an interviewer that you had learned, in your words, to love the thing that I wish had most not happened. You went on to say what punishments of God are not gifts. Do you really believe that? And he said, yes. It's a gift to exist, and with existence comes suffering. There's no escaping that. I don't want it to have happened. I want it to have not happened. But if you are grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do, not everybody is, and I'm not always, but it is the most positive thing to do, then you have to be grateful for all of it. You can't pick and choose what you're grateful for. So I wanted to dig a little bit more into this quote, what punishments of God are not gifts because it's from Tolkien. And apparently Stephen Colbert is a massive nerd, had no idea. (laughs) But here's a little history behind that phrase, what punishments of God are not gifts, because it's a very beautiful phrase, but also I'm not going to lie. It's a little difficult for me to wrap my mind around. Like what exactly does that even mean? Even maybe a little off-putting. Yeah, right. It does seem very, it feels very, um, almost toxic positivity. Yeah. Yeah. When you first said it, I thought, "Mm, I don't know if I want to accept that right away. So apparently in October of 1958, Tolkien wrote a letter to, um, a reader who had, uh, some questions about the Lord of the Rings and in a follow-up letter, he wrote this paragraph about immortality and mortality. A divine punishment is also a divine gift if accepted, since its object is ultimate blessing. 
and the supreme inventiveness of the creator will make punishments produce a good not otherwise attained. A mortal man has probably a higher, if unrevealed, destiny than a longeable one. And I'll admit, I don't know what longeable means. The loss of a father or mother or brother or child then, as much as we would never want it or ask for it, can be a gift if accepted, says Tolkien. Because it can bring about a greater good, an ultimate blessing we would not have enjoyed without having to feel the pain and heartache. What I think about that is that you can feel that as true for yourself in your own experience, but please don't go waving that in the face of someone else who's just lost someone close to them. Right. Yes, I do. I I think that um, the way that I'm looking at it is we're not going to go up to someone and be, oh, I just could never understand the whole, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. Like that just feels so empty and hollow. Yeah. I don't necessarily get that vibe, but I think that for me, the way that I'm interpreting it is we don't get a choice Mm -hmm. in that thing happening. Mm -hmm. What we do get a choice in is whether or not we look at it Right. And find some kernel of good in mm-hmm. it, which is very Victor Frankel and his research on, uh, I mean, <laughs> research and or personal experience mm-hmm. in a Holocaust camp. And it's that if accepted and it's that to me that I didn't get to choose these shitty things that happened to me. But instead of blaming those shitty things mm-hmm. or or taking the garbage and just living in it. Yeah. I can, my options are to either do that or figure out a way to find some sort of good thing out of it. And that is a gift. Yeah. I think that ability to be forward thinking or yeah. positive, maybe. When I hear it, I think that I am drawing from it some sort of judgment that is not actually baked into what he's saying. It's just something of my own. Well, I think, though, because that is a common misplaced Mm -hmm. sentiment that is given in grief as a less authentic Mm -hmm. way of of approaching and accepting and and talking about someone's grief, which is a perfect transition into this episode. Because we're going to jump around. I'm going to jump around in my notes a little bit. This just makes me think of how important it is to have context and conversation and not just sound bites. Yes. On its own, my gut response is to be like, fuck all the way off. (laughs) Right. And you're done. But when i think of the conversation between steven and anderson that is essentially saying the very same thing with that context i can accept what he is saying yes and i think that's such a good point that you hear a thing that that get that you get a reaction out of mm-hmm. whether it resonates or it makes you feel icky don't stop there mm-hmm. you have to get curious about it right because if you just stop there with your whatever your initial gut instinct is, you miss out on the learning and the transformation 
that comes from analyzing that statement. You may not end up changing your mind. Mm -hmm. You may look, listen to that and just analyze and look at it and really think about it and go, no, that is, that is pure evil. But you also then have like evidence then, and you have all this additional information to build that trust in your instincts. Mm -hmm. Or then you can also think about it and realize and take in an alternate perspective. And also it's an opportunity not to misunderstand someone. Right. But a lot of this, I mean, I think the overarching theme of this, maybe the second theme of this episode is grief in isolation is toxic. Mm -hmm. When we don't share our grief or share in other people's grief, we limit our ability to grow Mm -hmm. and we limit the gift that we can experience from grief, not just from our own grief, but from the grief of others. It made me think of an episode that we haven't gotten to yet from We Can Do Hard Things, but I would like to eventually with Andrea Gibson. Mm. She, I think I shared a poem of hers as one of our quotes. Mm -hmm. She had been speaking on that show about she's got what may be terminal cancer. Mm, She doesn't mm -hmm. like to call it terminal cancer because that seems too final. But from a scientific point of view, it very well could be terminal cancer. And she was talking about how when she made it a practice and learned to love her cancer, Mm. that changed everything Mm. for her Mm -hmm. because it was so empowering. If you can love the absolute worst thing that could or would ever happen to you, Mm. she was saying it gives you the sense that you can do anything. Mm. Yeah. I have some feelings around that Mm -hmm. that I need to sit and think about. Mm -hmm. And also how powerful. Yeah. Because that does kind of go back to shifting the control mm-hmm. to, to something that's more realistic. Right. All right. We'll file that one away. Um, the first thing I have written down is uh, one of my – who knew Stephen Colbert was such an eloquent man? I did not. And I, and I regret that because he is <clears> – he is very well-spoken. He said, uh, Anderson said, how can you be grateful for a terrible loss? And Stephen Colbert said, I haven't the slightest idea. Mm-hmm. I just know the value of it. Like, oh God, I just love everything about that. The, the brutal honesty. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I don't know how you mm-hmm. get to be grateful for loss. And I'm certainly not going to try to ex- explain to you how to do it, right. which is kind of that initial feeling about what what gifts of God are not or what punishments of God are not gifts. That sounds cavalier and mm-hmm. dismissive. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I don't know how. I just know the value of it. Right. I know that if you choose to try to find that, mm-hmm. you will be better off. Right. And how when you are able to turn that grief into gratitude 
And he does this. He's like, I'm not going to sit here and try to explain to people or or claim that my experience is going to be so similar to other people. And he says, 40 years from now, this will hurt a little less. And that is so fucking true because it's not even no one. I think we all know at this point, grief doesn't go away. It doesn't ever go that you don't ever stop feeling the loss. Mm -hmm. It it just, yes, it changes and it hurt. It might hurt a little less Mm -hmm. or it might hurt a little less often. Right. Um, what about you? What do you got? I had something and now I need to retrieve it. Mm. So let me dig into my thoughts for a second and see if it's still there. (laughs) I'm sure it is. We'll just It took me back to when we've spoken before about the difference between positivity and toxic positivity and Mm. how toxic positivity is something that you perform for other people. Right. And positivity is something that you do for yourself. So one is a performance Mm -hmm. pretending and the other is something authentic that you actually feel. And I hear Stephen saying... I don't know how to tell other people to do this or even if they should do this. Mm. I just know that in my life, I have felt the value of doing this for myself. Mm -hmm. And it works for me. Mm -hmm. And then, so thinking about how this whole interview started, because Stephen Colbert had written um, Anderson Cooper letter, I think after his, um, after Anderson's mother died, and I, so I think that Stephen was reaching out to Anderson in Anderson's grief and trying to have that conversation and sharing that with him. And it wasn't that toxic positivity, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't that in that toxic positivity kind of way. It was in that, hey man, like I've, I, when I've been in similar situations, mm-hmm. I know how much it sucks. Do you remember Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Yes. Talking about in her cancer journey. Yes. Being in community with other yes. people who have or had cancer. Yeah. And how much that didn't just help her, it was essential to getting her through that experience. Yes. And actually I was thinking about that too with when you were talking about Andrea Gibson and how she's learned that if she can love the the cancer, then it transforms it and changes the way you feel about it. And I will share this over and I'm not getting emotional. <clears throat> this past spring, I had a, um, a lot of health issues, and um, part of how I dealt with that was I went to get infusions, um, blood infusions, and it happens in the cancer center. I did not have cancer. Do not have cancer. I was not getting chemotherapy, but I was in the cancer center where other people are getting chemo. And the majority, I think, of the people that were in there were fighting cancer. And I think I ended up being there a total of six times, and each time was uh, two to three hours. So I spent a, a decent amount of time there. The first time I went, I was like, shit, this is going to be depressing as fuck. Can I just tell you, I have so much love for that place. Mm -hmm. I think about going back to that place and I'm not going to say that everyone's experience is the same because I, you know, it's not. But for me, it was such a comfort to being around other people 
who we were having some really shitty stuff happen mm-hmm. to us and we're still do we're we're still functioning right. we're still fighting we're still choosing life mm-hmm. knowing that eventually everyone dies eventually we won't be able to choose life and whether that's a month from now 6 months from now or 60 years from now cuz apparently i'm going to live to be 106 is that how that math works no 96 just kidding anyway and the staff that worked there. Mm-hmm. In- incredible people. Incredible people. And it it had this healing vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And that I, I thought about that when Julia Louis-Dreyfus had, had made that quote that being able – she received the mentorship while she was getting chemotherapy from other people who had been in her position. Mm-hmm. And then being able to pass that experience on and be that mentor to someone else – being such a full circle and rewarding moment. That feels kind of like maybe what Stephen was trying to yes. do with Anderson. Yes. Yeah, I think and I think that is mm-hmm. maybe what he did. Um he also so they talk a little bit about their memory of the people who had passed away. So for Stephen, his dad and his and two of his 10 siblings because there were 11 of them in total, the two that were closest in age to him. Because he was the youngest. Because he was the baby. Um, his father and then his two brothers uh, died in a plane crash when he was 10, when, when Stephen was 10. And um, Cooper, Anderson Cooper's <clears throat> brother died in um, 1988. Was that what we said? I think so, yeah. And... Um, he, Cooper, Carter, after a long battle with depression that may or may not have been made much worse by an allergic reaction to a medication, an Mm -hmm. asthma medication, um, he committed suicide um, by jumping off the 14th floor of their apartment building in front of their mother, Gloria Vanderbilt. And and I think Anderson was ten when his father died. Yes, Is that yeah, right? yes. Also, and so then also before that, and then his father Wyatt Cooper mm-hmm. died in surgery, mm-hmm. but he had been sick for a while of heart failure. But yeah, and then so then he was ten when his dad died, and so then Carter was probably twelve because I think Carter was a few years older than him. So we both have children presently mm-hmm. who are 10 mm-hmm. and we have experienced some loss. We've lost, uh, the kids lost their great grandma a couple of years ago. She was, as one might expect, an older person. She was <laughs> in her eighties. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily make it easier, mm-hmm. but it is maybe reconciled in a different way. There's some warning there. Yeah. And recently a wrestler Mm. who has been Rally's favorite for quite a while. And, you know, people like that sports figures or these people that you look up to or you bring into your orbit when you're a kid Mm -hmm. play such a huge role in just your development Mm -hmm. and so this person They're like archetypal figures they for you. They are. They are. Because it would be easy to say, oh, like it's a 
celebrity. Like, you didn't know that person. You didn't even know his real personality. Uh, right. I didn't even know his actual name. Same. But, um, so he passed away. Um, very suddenly. Very suddenly. And he was 36. My. And. Close to my. He's got young kids. Mm-hmm. And so that is hitting Rally on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Because. Without being able to articulate it, I think that he is grappling with the idea that it can just happen that fast. Well, yeah. And to someone who's young. Exactly. And it can be really unfair. Mm -hmm. And watching him deal with that, I feel very close to 10-year-old Anderson and 10-year-old Steven. Mm. Like, I just want to mother them. Mm -hmm. So... It's taken exactly 22 minutes before I really d- dived into the generational trauma portion of this. And we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on doing a little more exploring it recently. Uh, my dad's mother died when he was in fourth grade of cancer. That was literally all I knew mm-hmm. for a very long time. And then recently in the last in the last year or two, um, Jack's just been through a lot of transitions, a lot of different stuff going on. There was a, um, so had a lot of feelings, had a lot of some anxiety and some separation anxiety. And, and I just didn't realize all of the pieces until I started talking, until I was talking to my dad. So I had been talking to my parents about it. This was like a year ago, I think at this point about how Jack was really struggling with separation and we did the math and we realized, well, Jack, you know, Jackson in third grade or maybe it was this past spring Mm -hmm. is going into fourth grade. This is right around the same time that, you know, my dad's mom died and like how strange, isn't that Mm -hmm. strange? So I was talking to my dad about it more recently. And I know I've mentioned this before. My dad has dementia. He was diagnosed um, initially with Alzheimer's in uh, February of 2020. Um, and then they did a little bit more diagnosing and they um, determined it was Lewy body disease. And he's hasn't forgotten anyone's names or, or, or you know, he's not hmm, terminal yet. Mm-hmm. But you just know, you know that that these are the things that you need to be doing and talking about now. And also there's a, um, when it comes to neuroplasticity, there's a lot of research that says talking about older things um, can help mm-hmm. revive the brain or keep, slow down the, the progression of the disease. So I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago about his mom. Here's a whole story. Apparently she was, she and, well, so she died of cancer um uh, leukemia apparently though at least two if not three years before maybe even okay so now i'm doing math live on air and that's always scary (laughs) she was in a car accident right before my dad started school and in the 50s (laughs) automobile safety wasn't necessarily super stellar Mm -mm. They, in general, and ju- just super all of the things <laughs> in the fifties, with except for maybe the music, mm-hmm. was shitty. Let's just be real. Um, well, the cars were pretty cool, but 
not so safe. <clears throat> they were rear-ended. I don't know that she was wearing a seatbelt or if the car even had a seatbelt. Right. And she kind of slid under the dashboard and um, broke her legs. And so she had to have surgery on her knees. And then she never recovered from that. Um, and she went from needing a, um, crutches, coming home from the hospital on crutches, to then needing a wheelchair or a walker, to then a wheelchair, to then bedridden. Mm -hmm. And then- And you didn't know any of this. None of this until two weeks ago. I actually recorded- I mean, it really isn't because we know that there are all kinds of but it is. Our own families that we don't know. Right. So it's not surprising, mm -hmm. but- But also- It's mind-blowing. And my mom told me afterward that some of the details that my dad had shared with her, and she's been married to him for like since 1982 or mm -hmm. something like that, like hot minute, 40 some years. And she said some of these things I had never heard before. Mm -hmm. And um, I recorded it actually. I made a voice memo of it so that um, I could go back and listen to it and I wouldn't miss anything. Mm -hmm. And he watched his mother die before his eyes she did not die in their house he went actually so they were living in one city and then as she um continued to get worse they moved back to the city that they had come from and they had to downsize a bit mm -hmm. his dad had had this big fancy promotion big fancy house and then the accident happened and her health started to suffer and then he had to move back. He had to take his old job back, which not that it was a bad job, but, you know, he had to take his old job back. And um, they had this big, beautiful house that they moved into. But then, af then after she died, he sold that and they moved into a much smaller house. And she had gone into like a hospice, a hospice center or something towards the end of her death. And they thought, and I mean, this is cancer too. So like they thought that maybe the car accident caused the cancer, um, which leukemia is blood cancer. But anyway, I, so like there's, it, there's, there was just so much unknown about it. There was a lot mm -hmm. of stigma around it. And I know that something that, I, that we had been told growing up is, is how judgmental people had been of granddad and, um, that maybe he. It was his fault or something mm -hmm. somehow because there just wasn't a whole lot known about it. Mm -hmm. He watched her health suffer over an extended period of time. And then she she passed away when he was in fourth grade. And it just is really wild to me because when I look back at Jack and knowing w what little I do about generational trauma, I see that pattern. Mm -hmm. I see him falling into that pattern and being worried about my health and being worried that something was wrong with me or being worried that I was going to go somewhere. And at the time, I remember just thinking, oh, you know, um, his dad, they're having, another, they're having a baby, mm -hmm. you know, like, so of course there's going to be like, it's a transition. It's weird. You're not going to know what life is like after that. And it, I'm sure it was some of that. I'm not convinced that it was entirely all that though. Yeah. It, and that's just so crazy to me. That that trauma affects you so much, and they talk about that actually too. The foreboding joy, mm -hmm. um, and Stephen talks about whenever something would happen with his children, 
there was two kinds of morbid math that they would do. <clears throat> he would think when his child was seven and something would happen and the child would be like, oh, daddy, look, wasn't this amazing? And him being like, yes, wonderful. This is, I'm so glad we had this experience. And then, but thinking mm, three more years, mm -hmm. three more years to experience this before I die. Because he was doing the math for when his child was whatever age he was. And then once his children all got older than 10, he started doing the other morbid math that he didn't realize all of his siblings were also doing until after he was older than how old his father, than the age of his father when his father died. And he was to, the day. to, to yeah, yeah. He was visiting his siblings and they were like, so why are you here? And he was like, well, I just turned 53 years. And then everyone else chimes in 274 days mm -hmm. because they had all each done that math themselves at some point. Not even intentionally, mm -hmm. but it, it's also intentional mm -hmm. because it, that's how deeply loss affects us. Right. And again, we mentioned this in the teaser episode, loss is everywhere and in everything. This isn't just grief from death. This is grief from loss, loss of love, loss of consistency or predictability, friendship, uh, job, community, all the types of loss, loss that we all experience, some of us daily, some mm -hmm. people daily. And I was thinking too that it isn't only about the person. It is about Oof. the future and the experiences that you were supposed to get yes. with that person. Yes. And all of those stolen things. Yes. He talks, they talk about that too. The loss of learning more about this person. And the uh, he has this beautiful quote. Um, Stephen has this beautiful quote that he said about after his mother died, the enormity of the room whose door is now shut mm -hmm. and there is no knob on the outside. And they also talk about it. Um, I think it was Andrew Garfield, maybe. Oh, I love that. Oh, uh, I know he was. So he was on the Colbert Report and his mother had and Andrew's mother had just died and he started tearing up talking about her. And he said, um, acknowledging his tears, he was saying, it's only because I love talking about her. Mm -hmm. I hope this grief stays with me. It's all the unexpressed love I never got to tell her. It's that quote from Wanda, from WandaVision. What is love? What is grief? If not love, persevering. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that is. Uh, and there's another one, I think, that I, a very similar one. Was it from Bly Manor, actually? Probably. Love with nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Oh. Probably. That is a masterpiece in grief and loss. And if you really, y'all, spooky season's coming up. Yeah. It's not jump scare spooky because mm -mm. I don't do jump scare spooky. And there may be a couple jump scares, it's but just melancholy, beautiful spooky. It is brutal, mm -hmm. and I, that is the essence of I think this really this episode is mark it off your bingo board. Mm -hmm. Two things can be true at the same time. There is grief 
that is pain. And also, if you can get to a place where you're able to see this other side of the coin, it is also beautiful. And there's Lizzo. There, this is this is RuPaul and Lizzo. This is RuPaul. If you're not, if you, how the hell are you gonna love it? Somebody else. If you you don't love yourself, mm-hmm. and then Lizzo's flip side of that is, I know because I feel pain, that that means I can also feel joy, mm-hmm. and I know because I love others that I can also love myself. Being grateful for the sadness because it also means that I can feel joy. Mm-hmm. That is it. That is, that's the gift. You feel grief, you love. You can feel. Or something. Yes. And and one of them says this, if you're lucky, everyone will experience this. If you're lucky Mm -hmm. to have enough to have loved someone so much that you feel pain when you lose them. And that makes me also think about what Brene Brown talks about with numbing. And when we are, when we, we all numb in some ways, whether or not it's with shopping or sex or alcohol or drugs or whatever, when we numb ourselves to the pain as a coping mechanism for the pain, we also then limit the amount of joy we're able to feel, mm-hmm. feel in life and the experiences. And so you can't have one without the other. Right. And you shouldn't. We talk about this too. You shouldn't because feelings are there for cert- they serve a purpose they're even the quote unquote bad ones because they tell us information about our environment that we need to use in order to determine whether or not we're safe or whether or not we can move forward or whatever and you can't always be happy all the time you shouldn't always be happy all the time and if you try to be happy all the time you will actually feel sick mm-hmm. I do know there are there are the people, and I I just need to listen to it some more and do some more thinking about it that are like, you know, I am happy every day, or you know, I mean, what's the definition of happy? And I think it's this. I think it's this kind of happy. I think it's not the absence of sadness mm-hmm. or pain. It's that the it's the acceptance of it, mm-hmm. and so you can be happy all the time. But that doesn't mean you're not sa- you're mm-hmm. never sad. Yeah, for some people, happiness is another word for gratitude. Right, and you can be grateful every day. Yes, and if those things mean the same to you, then you're happy every day. And you can be grateful, 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 and ungrateful in the same day, mm-hmm. and it doesn't erase your. Progress. We contain multitudes, you guys. It's there. It's really there. I promise. When we were talking about brutal, I see that so clearly in Stephen saying, "My brothers will always be on their way out to play baseball." Get out of my head. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, they and- are preserved for him as these preteen, early teens, just. On their way out the door and then to play some ball. For Anderson, the flip side for him was his brother was absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. And so he always lives with the version of his brother that, that he was when he died, which was not the way you would want right. to see your loved one. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think of someone I grew up with in church who 
had just an immense impact, honestly, on the world, but especially in the area. Um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, I think, shortly after the birth of her second child. She was like 26, 27. Mm-hmm. And she just passed away this past spring after – I mean, and she, and she was a nurse, and she was like a, a compassionate nurse. Like I firmly believe – that she passed away because because she was just too good for this world. Mm-hmm. Like she could not exist in such an imperfect place like this. Mm-hmm. But that also sounds really horrible because she did leave behind two children. Right. And a husband who absolutely worshipped her. Um, and her kids are our kids' age. Mm-hmm. And they watched her as long as they've been alive battle this. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and that, I don't know. I don't know what version of their mom they have. And what a massive responsibility it is to carry that memory around. Right. And how do you, ha- how do you manage that? The answer is, I haven't the slightest idea. Yeah. I just know the value of it. Stephen says, the loneliness of grief is extraordinary. And there's that just beautiful language because it is. Mm -hmm. And then the key to, it seems like (laughs) the key to moving through that and transforming it is sharing it instead of keeping it inside and, and isolated. It is not unlike... Are you aware that we are all going to die someday? Yes, yes. Because if all of a sudden you lived in a version of your life where this person existed and then 24 hours later that person does not exist, I have to imagine it feels like you have been dropped into an alternate reality Mm -hmm. where everybody else, more or less, in the world is just continuing to operate as if it didn't even happen. Because for them, it didn't happen. But to be suddenly an alien in your own life, surrounded by other people who are not reacting to this thing. You're you're like, hello? Yeah. Am I a ghost? Right. Am I crazy? Yeah. Did this, how does the world, it's, it's, um, Cheryl Strayed. Mm-hmm. And showing how torn up she was that the, when when they lo- when the world lost this person like how can the world go on how can anyone be happy yeah. how could i ever be happy because i've lost this person feeling like you have to prove to the world yes. that this person matters yes because they don't seem to understand or get it Mm-mm. and he talk they talk about that uh, this a lot of times people don't know what to say when someone is grieving and the solution is generally just acknowledging it, mm-hmm. just acknowledging the loss, acknowledging that it exists, and that is very that's 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 the thing. Right. I don't need anyone to do anything about the fact. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily need anyone to do anything about the fact. Because guess what? There's nothing you can do. Exactly. They and they, he says this thing of it's there's this is a thirst that everyone has. And no one is pouring water. We're just 
love is food exchanged and grief is like starving. Mm -hmm. And he uh, mentions how we used to have a a ritual or tradition of mourning and, and the person would wear black for a year to, and, and it was intentional so that people could look at you and go, you're in mourning, not so that they could avoid you, but so that they could engage you mm-hmm. in it. And I remember taking an anthropology class in undergrad and them talking about the, how grief is different in various cultures. And, and in this culture, in, in one culture, it, they do this. And then in another culture, they do this. And then, you know, and him talking about and in this specific culture, the person who has passed away is on display for the entire community to see and they come and they mourn and they throw themselves on the body and they all and as the body decays they rub themselves in the fluids mm-hmm. the the decay of the body just like it and just everyone's like oh that's so gross right and then he's like and, and then there's this one where they actually take the person who has died and they they fashion them up like a doll, and they pump them full of all of these various fluids. Like embalming? And they paint them up to look as though they're not dead. And everyone pretends. Oh, it's us. They're not dead. Oh, it's us. And like, he, whatever way that he, he said it, everyone was like, oh my, horrible. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, that's, by the way, that's us. Yeah. That's how we deal mm-hmm. with grief. So think about that before you look at the, the traditions of these other cultures and, and think that they're barbaric. Right. Because that is truly barbaric. When he said, we no longer have a ritual mm. around grief and loss, I wrote down, capitalism has no time <gasps> yes, for your grief. Exactly. And it w- oh, God, I, I know there was an, at least one episode where they said, if capitalism can't make money off of it, it's mm-hmm. not going to be a priority. Yeah. And the thing about that is you could make money off of grief though. You could. Oh yeah. People surely do. But it, the thing about that is mm. we don't need it any less right. than all of these cultures that still honor and support people in their grief. We don't need it any less than they do. We just live in a society that has conditioned us to think that we need Mm -hmm. it less Mm -hmm. so that when we find ourselves in it, we are more miserable than we need to be because not only are we mourning the loss of a critical person or experience or whatever we're mourning, we also feel bad because we are not supposed to be right. We're supposed to just carry on and we're not being productive. And if you're not being productive mm-hmm. in this society, mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing? Not rest yeah. in this economy. Right. Exactly. And you know, it's, I think too, capitalism yeah, could make money off of grief, but they could also then unintentionally be fostering and nurturing the downfall because the part about grief where we all share it is that we come together and lean on each other Mm -hmm. and find that we don't have to be these isolated little pods of nuclear families with Mm 2.45 kids or however many, you know, and so they, they're able to, they, whoever they are, 
say, oh, no, we don't we don't want any. We want them to grieve enough, but not so much that we can make money off them, but not so much that they don't need us anymore. Right. They don't we need. Them to, we like the part where they feel lonely. Right. Because then they'll binge our shows. Exactly. And buy our products and our food and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're good with that part. It's when they start to reach for any actual sustenance from each other. Because that. That we got to pump the brakes on that. The need for those numbing mechanisms will end. Mm -hmm. And we don't want that to end. Mm -hmm. We want the numbing to continue. We want to be able to continue to make money off of this collective suffering. But you're not allowed to suffer so collectively that you get through it. And I did want to say, when we were talking about the numbing, I feel like there's a place for a certain amount of numbing. Yes. When you are in grief. We don't do surgery on people without knocking them out. We've talked about how your survival instincts are there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And if you need to just numb, to just make it through the day or the week, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. maybe that's what you need to do Mm -hmm. and allow yourself that it's not meant to be a place where you live. Right. But everybody deserves a little numbing as a treat. As a treat. (laughs) Yes. As a treat. Mm -hmm. Um, we are at 48 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say final thoughts because I have far too many, but, um, Okay. So I paused our recording so that I could find this quote because I I knew that there was a section I wanted to talk about and I couldn't find the name of the person that was involved in it. And so then we stopped to find it. And we just talked about Bly Manor. And there there was a, a man who had done an interview about that whole ritual of grief and how we don't do that anymore. And um I was trying to find his name and it turns out his name was Robert Bly. Call back to Bly Manor. Not literally, but, but for us, it feels like one. And I'm having to go down that rabbit hole and researching Bly Manor and, mm-hmm. and like where that inspiration came from. Yeah. Cause I'm not ruling it out because this man was talked about grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the interview, I can't remember if it was like morally safer or it was like one, it was, it was one of those older broadcaster folk. It was like an institution. Yes. The, yes. And he did an, an interview with them and they said something about, I feel like I need to do something with this grief. And he said, I don't know that you do. Well, he said, what do I do with this grief? And he says, I don't know that you need to do anything. But you can follow the empathy of that grief down or you can cut it off and divert it. So you can either lean into it Mm -hmm. and realize the value of it because it is going to help you to relate to other people and because it reinforces that you are not alone. Or if you cut it off ignore it and divert it that's your other option okay get out your bingo cords your bingo cords there's gonna be cords involved (laughs) we're gonna do a cord cutting get out your bingo cords (laughs) um dismembering oh my god 
I remember that Andrea Gibson, I think, was saying when she talked about loving her cancer, mm. admitting to herself that it was a part of her. Oh, shit. Because she was imagining it as mm-hmm. if it were this invader mm-hmm. or this villain, but it existed in her body as a part of her. And so not loving that was not loving a part of herself. As you're saying that, one of the one of the things I wanted to make sure that we got to was where <clears throat> when he talks about grief is not a bad thing because you're doing it to yourself mm-hmm. and you can't win a battle against yourself. Right. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can't cut off your grief. You can't dismember yourself from the thing that grieves you. Mm-hmm. And expect that to turn any way other than it's a it's an abandoning of part of yourself. Yes, it is abandoning. It is abandoning. And this is right around the time when he talks about grief um getting hung up on the grief and we're and we're afraid to approach it because we're worried that we're going to get stuck here and it's going to feel like this for forever. Feels like a trap. It feels like a trap. But it's a doorway. Exactly. He says grief often presents as anger. It's an attempt at anger to not feel, to mm-hmm. numb. The grief itself isn't actually the bad part. It's, it is the attempting not to feel it mm-hmm. that makes us angry and that creates circumstances where we are not living our best lives. I and it, trying, oh, go ahead. No, no, Sorry. no. You, I was just going to say the other, and, and along that same time, they said acceptance of suffering is not defeat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, that you know, we're, we're not winning because we're not able to strong arm ourselves through this experience and not feel it. Not feeling things isn't an accomplishment, mm-hmm. except under certain circumstances. That doesn't mean that it should be under all the circumstances. And what were you going to say? I have been trying to decide, I may have brought this up on an earlier podcast that we've done. I've been trying to decide if I believe that anger is real or not. Mm. Mm. I go back and forth because he says that, that there's, I, I wrote down the exact quote, I think, but it was to the extent of there's no such thing as anger. Anger is the armor that you yes! put on to... Uh, to an uh, anger it, against how you really yeah, feel. Armor to attempt not to, to feel. To disguise how you really feel. Yes. I'm trying to figure out if I believe that there is such a thing as anger. Mm. I think for sure, most of the time, if not all the time, mm. anger is just kind of the smoke and mirrors to distract from what the real thing is. Mm. I'm trying to think of whether or not that's always the case or if there are times when it really and truly is just plain old anger. I don't have an answer and I don't expect to get to one right now. But. Yeah, but I'm thinking because we know one thing I, I talk about with my people is that anger does serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we have to live there, but it tells us when it, it, it helps us recognize when a catalyst need is is occurring when some change needs to happen <clears throat> because the circumstances that we're experiencing are untenable i kind of want to look through atlas of the heart oh, yes because i 
bet that they talk about that somewhere. Renee, I know you got something uh-huh. on that. We're yeah. going to need I, some we chiming in. Thoughts. We know you have thoughts about it. We know you have fucking data about it. <laughs> Share the data. You probably already did. And we were just so real. focused on all the other stuff what that do we. You guys think? Yes, I anger love that. Real? What do you think? Please tell us what you think. Email us at podthingspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok. Send us a message. We're not very active on there because TikTok is a time suck, but we do still exist there. Or um, find us on Instagram at we can do pod things with underscores in between each word. Is gonna, anger real? I'm going to try not to follow this for too long because I know I could get way off track. But I have been thinking lately that most of the anger that I think I feel about things that my kids do or don't do is really fear. Yes. Fear of whether or not I'm being a good mom, fear that if they're misbehaving, it means that I'm failing them somehow. Yes. Fear of judgment from other people. I don't. Oh shit. Hmm. Of course I was thinking about inside out Mm -hmm. in Riley, Mm -hmm. the voices in her head. Riley is, is a female character and two of those five voices Mm -hmm. are male fear and anger so because i was thinking there's gotta be they gotta they gotta do some sort of easter egg or correlation or something so to discuss Mm -hmm. the juxtaposition and how closely they are related and i'm not saying that men are horrible or bad or anything because anger and fear is not horrible or bad. I'm just saying, I think I would not be surprised Mm -hmm. if that was a little signal that these two things are related. And so how are we, what commonality are we going to give them between each other? Mm -hmm. Because that is such a good point. I've heard discussion about the fact that at the end of the movie, Remember, they show all of mom's mm-hmm. internal characters and all of dad's And who's in charge. Characters. And they're also all the same gender. Yes, yes. Moms are all female. Dads, dads are, are all male. male. Riley's got a combination of male and female. I don't know what that means or if it means anything. Right. But we can, <laughs> we can make it mean something. Sure, yeah. And people That's art. have and do. Yeah, I mean, I would love to, uh, a collection of all the theses, mm-hmm. I that have been influenced and and have been written about Inside Out. I'd like to see how many of those things make their way into the sequel that we're supposed to be getting. I know. I know. I can't wait for it. Um, it's sitting in the dark, though. Going back to the Robert Bly, you don't have to do anything about the grief. You just need to acknowledge it. We need to reach out to each other and connect over it. We can see it as this empathy tool or we can cut it off. It's sitting in the dark with someone. You don't have to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to fix my kid's problem. Maybe they want me to, but maybe they don't want me to. And my job as a parent isn't to turn on the light for my child. It's to sit in the dark with them mm-hmm. while they find the switch and they learn how to activate it. I'll do it, but I'm not going to be happy about it and you can't make me. <laughs> 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 um a few I will begrudgingly accept it. <laughs> I've got problems with it. Um a few so kind of, I guess similar to that he Anderson 
talks about he didn't want to pass on his sadness to his kids mm-hmm. in that this why is dad crying it's this weird secret strange thing that he doesn't tell us about because he keeps it hidden mm-hmm. and and colbert says well it's only strange if you keep it hidden mm-hmm. if you share it that's the gift and then you get to explain that gift to your kids I that, wonder how much our parents really would like to tell us about their grief, but they're not sure how to bring it up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I do. I just I had a conversation with my mom about this yeah, the other day. I have always assumed, because both my mom and dad have, just like everybody has, lost some pretty significant yeah. figures. And I have some curiosity around it, but I don't ask because mm. I assume that they don't want to talk about it. But maybe they don't talk about it because they assume that I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what mm-hmm. you mean. It's the we don't bring up the grief because we're afraid that we're hurting the other person right. when the other person is dying yeah. to talk about their loved one. And also, uh, my parents are getting older. And once those stories are gone, uh, they talked about this. Yes. Once those stories are gone, they're gone. You are the last person who remembers this story. You're the last person who remembers this, this person or that this thing happened. And I I think about this with my dad because there aren't many people left for me to ask about his family. Mm -hmm. My uncle's dead. My granddad's dead. Um, his aunt, uh, his, his aunt, who was my great aunt, um, she just passed away within the last year. She was married to, um, a hood. And she was a wonderful lady. Um, she's gone. And I don't know how many people on my on my paternal grandmother's side, I don't know how many of those matriarchs are still mm-hmm. alive. He's the last one to tell a lot mm-hmm. of these stories. And and Stephen talks about that somebody asking if this story that he was that he was telling was true. And he's like, I actually don't know. I don't have there's any way no to, one to ask. There's no one else to ask. And this is Coco. This mm-hmm. is the Afrenda. This is keeping our loved ones alive by telling stories about them, by their memories. We don't truly die until there's no one left to remember us. And I I I don't I don't want that. Right. And I, I'm gonna avoid that <laughs> as much as possible because and that sometimes means that I'm we're gonna I'm gonna talk about things, mm-hmm. talk about grief. I was um, on a date last night and um, this person that I've been seeing has experienced some loss recently. Um, someone that he's known for a family that he's been a, a part of for a while. And he's been going through all their old, like all the stuff that he has been stored in their barn. And um, he's just surrounded by all of the sensory experiences of that person and and those people in that relationship because there it was a um the daughter of this man that he had gotten to know and been friends with and looked up to as a a grandparent or father figure um she passed away and then he had passed away prior to her but he's been bringing him up bringing them up and talking about them and and I had been listening to this episode, brushing up on the episode again. And he was, he brought him up last night at dinner. And I thought of this and I was like, what can I, 
I know that this person is hurting and I want, I care about them and I want not necessarily to alleviate their hurting, but I, I want to contribute positively to that. How mm-hmm. do I do that? And then I just thought, just ask them about it. Tell right. me stories about it. How did you meet him? He had, he um, had met him because he, he, the, the person that I'm seeing was a, a bartender at Bruno's at one point in time. And this man would come in and he would order the same kind of sandwich and he named the sandwich and a beer. And I said, well, what kind of beer? Mm-hmm. And so then he thought about the beer and then he was like, oh, and that's right. And there was this other guy that also came in and they would order these beers together. They would both order the same kind of beer and just the healing power of sharing that experience because then not only because we talked about part of our grief is that we don't get to make any new memories with that person. Mm-hmm. Again, this doesn't isn't even just because of if if they died in a breakup, we go back and look at those pictures of us together because we just want to feel that experience again. And I just want to feel those feelings again. And I'm and part of the reason why I'm sad is because I know that I'm never going to share this joke with this person again, Mm -hmm. or this person always helped me grow in this specific area, but now all of the growth that I make, I can't share with them. They can't know about Mm -hmm. I'm, I stay frozen in time. I am always going to be to that person, the person they broke up with. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get to see how much better I am. But if we do this, we get to learn new things Mm -hmm. about not necessarily the people that we lost, but we get to learn about the people that they lost, which in then it then in turn can be a new experience for them because then they are seeing their grief through our eyes. And Stephen talks about this when um, he had found a tape that had his brother's voice on it and he didn't recognize the voice but the voice introduced itself as his brother Peter and his wife had come in and and didn't recognize the voice and even though he knew who it was he he couldn't place it he couldn't match it up and so he had she had come in and said oh who's that and he said that's Peter and then he saw his wife tear up and she started getting and, and she got upset and emotional over it because he she saw his grief and she burst into tears because the grief of someone that she loved became her own grief. And then that was when he be, felt like he could could cry and be emotional about it. And that is a way of creating a new memory because it's it's the same memory, but from a different angle. Right. It's the joining mm-hmm. of joy and sadness. How joy always her, – her core memory was this one experience, but her experience happened after – Sadness is core memory and they can combine mm-hmm. together. So it you can, they do live on through the stories that we tell right. other people and through other people having the gift of receiving the gift of hearing about it. Something that I loved so much was both of their moms found a way to stay with mm. them Anderson's mom left him little notes Mm -hmm. throughout her house. And packages. And packages. Knowing that he was going to be, I think about this. This is P.S. I love you all the way. I'm not an only child. I have a half brother. 
But I think it's understood between the two of us that when my parents are gone, I'm going to be the one who goes through the stuff. And I think about that, Mm. that I'm going to be the only one who will do that. And Anderson was the last Mm. one standing. Mm -hmm. So not only was he going through his mom's things, he was going going through through his his brother's brother's things and his dad's things that she could never bring herself to get rid of. You're processing the grief twofold. Uh Uh-huh. But she left him notes. These were daddy's glasses. These were daddy's pajamas. Yeah, something so simple. And I imagine, too, that not just for him, but for her, that Mm, felt like a way of staying. significance, yes. A way of still connecting to him after she was gone. Well, and one of the things he mentions, one of the things that she kept was her outfit. the, 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 The clothes that she was wearing when his brother... Um, jumped off Mm -hmm. the roof or jumped out the window. She had that calendar next to the bed (sighs) of the day that that he died. died. I forgot about Uh that and it never advanced. And obviously there's also, you know, we could get really into their, what that represents for them and their grief and how they did or didn't process it or move through it or understand it. But what an exceptional and then so so steven's mom i, I love this. this i want to do i'm gonna steal this i'm telling i'm i i was uh, going to tell my mom this uh the other night mm-hmm. um but now i'm just gonna tell both mom and dad that they need to listen to this episode because this is what i want you guys to do because we do we have the it's not a it's it's a joke but it's not really a joke because it's true but it's mm-hmm. not like morbid like it's a little morbid, but everyone can have a little morbid morbidity <laughs> for a treat. We'll say like, oh, I want that dresser mm-hmm. when you guys die. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, whatever. And like, okay, we'll put your name on it. So Stephen's mom, he had, like we said, a number of siblings. Mm-hmm. I think there were eight of them left. Didn't yeah, I think you're right. There were eight. And she, in her final wishes said i want you all to come to the house just you no spouses and you're going to draw numbers from a bowl and according to your number every round that's you're going to pick one thing from the house that you want to take with you and he said she did that knowing that we would share stories and that but that was part of the thing too is Mm -hmm. they is when they picked it they had to share a story about it yeah and so they each told these stories that probably would have stayed with just that one person mm. for the rest of their lives. But she made an opportunity for them to share those things. And also, he said everyone got their first several round picks. Uh-huh. Everyone thought, oh, God, this person, mm-hmm. ah, someone's going to take this thing. But it, really, no, because the things that they chose were, were personal to them, not because we weren't they weren't doing it from some sort of cold Mm -hmm. or calculating analytical well this is probably worth the most money Mm -hmm. i think that she was able to trust herself in knowing that she created a and cultured a value for love Mm -hmm. and sharing and being genuine over money and it feels like something that only someone who had experienced a deep Mm deep well of grief would think to do Mm -hmm. because someone who has lived through something that has caused significant grief and distress for them 
knows that you don't just get opportunities to tell the stories. Yeah. You have to make opportunities. To to force people to listen. Yeah. And so she constructed this opportunity for them to tell their stories to each other. So we love Cheryl Strayed's mother Mm -hmm. because she inevitably created some insight. Brene Brown's therapist. And now Stephen Colbert's mother. Yeah. And Anderson's mom. And Anderson's mom, too. Absolutely. And Brene, I'm sure we love your mom, too. Yes, we definitely do because your mom was the one that got that that took the step into therapy. Yeah. If you're a mom or a therapist or both, we probably adore you. Chances we are, we love the shit out of you. And that's not to say that we don't love dads. We're just saying, moms get a moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> because there's so much emotional labor there mm-hmm. that you and for foresight and that you put into things. And we love the dads too, but it's just not your turn right it's now. It's not your turn. It's May. <laughs> it's not. June yet. Jeez. Actually, right now it's September and that's crazy to me. Um, Do you have any final thoughts? I don't think so. I think I got to every one of my thoughts on this topic. He, I do, I want to touch real quickly on how um, he real, Stephen Colbert said he realizes that he cries over beautiful things. And it is that duality of two things can be true at the same time mm-hmm. that he cries because even knowing the grief and pain and suffering in the world, there is also beauty. Right. And he talks about, they had um, gone to France and visited uh, the place where Van Gogh uh, painted starry night where he eventually um, commit committed suicide and looking at starry night and knowing how the depths of depression that he was in, And yet also the beauty and energy and life that he was able to depict. He might've been an alien, by the way. I'm not, I'm not convinced that he's not because he also, there's, he also depicts a physical property, a property of physics that no one was even aware of until well after in Starry Night, the swirling motion. It's some sort of, I, I read it on the internet, but, um, he cries because he knows he's about to tell someone something beautiful and that the world can be so sad and you can be so shattered, but which for us is, and also it can be so beautiful. And then, uh, Anderson asked, what advice do you have for people who are, who are going through grief? And of course, at first he said, Oh God, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then he said, try not to be alone. Don't be afraid to talk about it and don't be afraid to talk to someone about their grief. It's like, don't be afraid to catch a falling person because they've been, who's been struck. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid that the pain will last forever because it will transform into wisdom. Don't be afraid to accept help in your grief. As someone who talks incessantly about that one breakup, and I get to the, these points where I wonder, is this ever going to be not that big? Like why? I'm sure that you too <laughs> wonder. Uh, there's that Olivia Rodrigo song where she says, I feel sorry um, for my friends because they'll never know you the way that I do. Mm-hmm. And all my friends are tired of hearing how much I miss you, but I feel sorry for them because they'll never know you the way that I do. I don't get, I don't necessarily, I don't actually get the feeling that you're like, uh, this again, come on. But my insecurities tell me 
that that is a thing that people think. And I think it's not just, it's not that we're focusing. It's not that it's, we're not living there. Mm -hmm. We're not wrapping our grief around us like a blanket or blaming it or staying stuck in it. Mm -hmm. We're talking about it and reviewing it and revisiting it so that we can move through it, so that we can transform it into wisdom. Because you can look at this grief, Mm -hmm. whether it's a breakup or actually, and I've been teaching a couple of my clients that all transitions in life are like breakups. And we know that when we, because we've been through this breakup, we know that we can go through another breakup. Because a lot of my people also just really want to be in those relationships in a, in a romantic relationship because who doesn't? Um, and it's a much more, it's much more difficult for them to find their person. And so this is another way for them to learn about the mm-hmm. dynamics of an intimate partnership. You know what I think too? Some of us are just predisposed to rumination. Mm. Make it make sense. Yes. Make it make sense. And to be handed something that makes no logical sense and has no neat and tidy closure mm-hmm. is intolerable. Mm-hmm. And you, it, <laughs> and this is going back to talking is accepting it. Mm-hmm. The more we talk about it, as long as we're not staying stuck in some sort of blame or excuse for why, and that's not to say that there's anything wrong, inherently wrong about saying, using it as a quote unquote excuse. It's balance. Mm-hmm. It's it's if we stay too much in that area, then we're not we're not growing or healing or moving forward. Is that shirt a starry <clears throat> night shirt? Oh my god, it is. <laughs> That's a ding ding ding. Um, it's actually <laughs> it's actually it's um, a Star Warsy night shirt. It's the USS oh, no, it Enterprise. You're right. Yeah. It's the USS Enterprise painted in the style of Starry Night. Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that when I put it on. I just mm-hmm. grabbed it because it was a clean shirt. Woo! The universe, the mutual stardust and all the stuff. It's here. It's here. You know, I did think of one other thing that I looked up. Yes. At the time that I was listening to this, the Thestrals from Harry Potter. I didn't know this. I just looked them up because I couldn't remember the name. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It isn't just if you have seen death. It's if you have seen and accepted death. I didn't know that until I read that. Because Harry couldn't see them Mm -hmm. initially. And it wasn't because he, obviously, it wasn't because he had not seen or been in the presence, mm-hmm. but he was a baby when that happened. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't able to process right. it. But then once he, it was after he saw. Who, Sirius, probably? No, someone died. Yes, Sirius, mm-hmm. when Sirius died. That was when he was able to see them. Ah, what a great point. Mm-hmm. And the Thestrals themselves are such a great um, metaphor for grief because they're two things. They're two seemingly opposite things. They're powerful and beautiful mm-hmm. and scary and, and grotesque. Kind of delicateness about them yes. too. Yeah, their skin is paper thin mm-hmm. and their skin and bones. So they look weak and fragile, but they're really quite powerful. Mm-hmm. All of that. Well, <laughs> we hope that you have made it through this episode on grief and that it is that you appreciate our Harry Potter references just as much as we do. 
And if not, that's okay. You're wrong, but that's okay. (laughs) We want to know your thoughts on grief, on anger, on the legitimacy of anger, and whether it's really just fear. Two, three fears stacked on top of each Mm -hmm. other underneath a trench coat. (laughs) We want to hear from you guys. Um, We're so happy to be back with you, um, I think, next week. The episode is is armchair experts, and it is their interview with Nita Farahani about ethics in relationship to technology, specifically AI, and it's a thinker. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's really interesting. I I found it really interesting. I hope you do too. And you know what? Maybe just tune in just a tiny bit, get a little uncomfortable. And if it's just crazy boring and it's not your vibe, that's fine. She has like a 12 minute Ted talk. So if you don't want to dip into the entire podcast episode, maybe just tune into the Ted talk. But also Dax Shepard is hilarious. Oh, I love Dax. So just give it a try. Give it a think mm-hmm. um, and let us know what you think. Um, thank you so much for listening. We love you so much. Um, we can't wait to share all of the exciting new developments that we have in store. This is Annalise. And Emily. And this has been We Can Do Pod Things.